Hello, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the November 16th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show, as always, is brought to you as a service of Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. Of course, you're listening to us now on the radio, but you can also listen to us anytime via the podcast version. To go to the podcast, please go to and follow the Local Matters of Georgia Facebook page where all of the episodes will be posted. Or you can go directly to SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. If you're on any of those platforms, please follow the Local Matters podcast so that you will be notified when we drop new episodes. Today, we continue our analysis of the November 8th election. Of course, last week I did my quick back of the envelope thinking uh, in order to get uh, the audio out on time. Uh, this time around, we've had a few more days to just think about and process what happened, and we've invited former Mayor of Augusta, Bob Young, to come in and share his perspective. So you'll get a chance to hear where we agree and maybe where we disagree too. But before we get started with our interview with Mr. Young, we've got a few important community events to make you aware of. Uh, the first on November 22nd. There should be a candidate forum on the Facebook page of the Greater Augustus Interfaith Coalition. This will feature the two candidates for school board district two. You know, there's a runoff between incumbent Charlie Hanna and his challenger, Reverend Larry Fryer. So we'll have the two of them in. I think that's going to take place at 7 p.m. Um, if you're on Facebook, please uh, take advantage of the opportunity to learn more about them and why they want to serve on the Richmond County Board of Education. Also, on December 1st, there will be a get out the vote rally with a hot meal and a food giveaway for folks to take home. It will take place on Florence Street in front of the Antioch Baptist Church. Starts at 1 p.m., ends around 5. So please take advantage of that opportunity to get lunch or an early dinner. Also want to make you aware of the December 20th special election that is coming up. We've got two more elections to be clear. December 6th is the runoff for both the Georgia Senate race, U.S. Senate, um, who will represent Georgia in the U.S. Senate, to be specific, between Reverend Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. That takes place, will be on the December 6th ballot. Also on the December 6th ballot, if you live in school board district two, you'll have the school board race that I mentioned earlier. On December 20th, if you live in House District 129, there will be four candidates on your ballot to uh, uh, serve in the place of the late Representative Wayne Howard. 
We've got four candidates for that, and we have invited all four to Local Matters. We hope to have them in on November 30th and December 7th. If you are not sure if you reside in District 129, please go to the My Voter page at the Georgia Secretary of State's website to type in your address and see what district you live in. This is very important because the boundaries of those districts changed. So you wanna make sure that you know if you are supposed to go vote on December 20th. Local Matters family, today we have a special guest for this special episode. Uh, we are doing this jointly for the audio, radio, slash podcast version. We're also posting this on our YouTube channel. So we are adding more content to the YouTube channel. Please go look for Local Matters Podcast of Georgia uh, and become one of our subscribers as we try to grow that out and offer more uh, that will be of interest to our regular Local Matters family. Today, we've got former newscaster and former Augusta Mayor Bob Young, who is now an author and occasional uh, actor as well. Yeah. And he also worked for the federal government for a while. So he has a unique perspective on many of the issues that we're going to discuss today as we talk about elections, what happened and what didn't happen uh, here with the statewide elections. Uh, we're going to touch a little bit on local and also at the federal level. How you doing today, former Mayor Young? I'm doing very well, Janice. It's good to see you and uh, good to be on your program and with your viewers and listeners today. Thank you so much. Hi, if you could get started, I usually ask our guests to say a little bit about their background before they get started. And like I said, everybody kind of knows some of the things that you've been doing, mm -hmm. but that piece with the federal government, if you could just tell our listeners a little uh, bit more about what you did when you were a federal bureaucrat. Uh, well, thank you for asking. I, I joined the George W. Bush administration in uh, the fall of, uh, excuse me, the spring of 2005. Uh, I had been asked to uh, accept the position of regional administrator for the Department of Housing and Urban Development based in Atlanta. And at the time I was mayor, so I, I accepted the offer uh, and I resigned my office um, here in Augusta. And so I moved to Atlanta and I was in Atlanta uh, for about two months and then Hurricane Katrina hit. And as the regional administrator for the Southeast, uh, I was leading HUD's field operations and our recovery and response to uh, Hurricane Katrina, quite a, quite a busy time. Um, and then my boss quit about a year later. Uh, she was up in Washington, an assistant deputy secretary. And so I was asked to fill in that position in addition to being the Southeast administrator. So I was over all these HUD field offices and my own offices I had responsibility for. And then uh, about a year before the election, I was moved up to Washington, D.C. full time as assistant deputy secretary. It, it was really rewarding in that um, I was able to see how federal programs can be a help to local communities and local citizens or how in some ways they can be an impediment. And it, it was nice to work with federal employees to help them gain an understanding of the things that they could do that would strengthen the programs and the things they could not do that would uh, continue to weaken them. Uh, and having had that local government uh, 
experience too helped me immensely in working with state and local governments during Hurricane uh, Katrina. Uh, Governor Barber over in Mississippi became one of my best friends during that. We had a lot of meetings and conversations about getting aid to, to his state and uh, just had a, had, had a very rewarding experience, very rewarding. Well, good. I'm glad you had that chance to get that experience. And as you mentioned earlier, when we were talking before we went on, um, <clears throat> because of the political process, a new president comes in, everybody at your level pretty much had to leave. Is that yeah, right? I, there, there are probably um, about 3,000 people who work in federal government who are there because they are political appointees. And that is the sitting president is responsible for them being there. And the tradition is when the president who appointed you leaves, that you also turn in your resignation. And it's up to the new president coming in to accept it or reject it. And uh, probably in 98, 99% of the cases, he would accept them unless it was a key position and they didn't have somebody ready to come in and take that role uh, just yet. But you want to make way for the new president so uh, he can bring his agenda or her agenda uh, into play within the federal government and put their people in place who are, who are loyal to them. But when you're a political appointee in the government, you're not a political person. You're an administrator and you're carrying uh, the priorities of the president and his administration into that office. And uh, those are the guiding principles for how you manage the office while you're there. You're not in there promoting Democrat goals and ideas or Republican goals and ideas. You're in there doing the business of the president and the Congress. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for that explanation, because that's one of the things a lot of times folks just don't understand how all that works. Uh, so I appreciate you sharing that with our Thank listener. And now to our big topic of today is what in the world happened on November 8th? Um, I, I think don't know. I went to sleep. Ago, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> two years ago, somewhere around there, you were a guest on the podcast. And yes. Uh, we discussed uh, the gubernatorial race at that time. Of course, that was right after the presidential race. I think the title it was right after the Senate runoffs. Right. And the uh, um, title I gave that episode was did Donald Trump lose Georgia or did Stacey Abrams win it? And that was when the two Democratic senators were elected to go right. to Washington. And in that conversation somewhere, if I recall correctly, you said that you believe Stacey Abrams would be the next governor of Georgia. Well, we all have our moments. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I said, I didn't think she would even run for governor mm -hmm. because she was so influential outside of public office. So I wondered if she would give up the idea of hey, I don't want a title. Hey, just let me work and I'll get some things done and be recognized without having to be brought down by all of the criticism of, yeah, you're the governor. Why hadn't you changed X, Y, and Z? You know? So I was wrong and you, you were wrong. How did that happen? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a professional prognosticator. I'm not a pollster. I'm not a professional political consultant. It, uh, just looking at the results of that uh, that one election or two elections in the runoff case. And uh, it just it just appeared that uh, uh, Georgia was no longer a bastion of, of red people. There were purple people. 
in Georgia, and, and the, the vast majority of Georgians who were voting uh, were amenable to having a Democrat represent them in Washington. So why not uh, in Atlanta? And to her credit, Stacey Abrams spent the, the following two years uh, building an organization to turn out the vote and, uh, and enable other Democrats to, to model that, uh, what our two senators did uh, in their runoff. But as we all saw on November 8th, that didn't happen. In fact, I think all the Democrats on the statewide ballot polled better than Stacey Abrams polled. And I've heard some people commenting uh, after the election that perhaps Stacey was not paying enough attention to Georgia and Georgia issues and was too busy uh, working externally and on her own image and, and her own her own activities. Uh, but, uh, you know, they say all politics is local. That might have something uh, to do with it. Uh, uh, one of the, I, I, but then too, and you probably saw this from your own experience in government, people are just very reluctant to change their elected representative, unless there is something terribly wrong, something awful has happened, or there's a personal scandal, or the, the tax bill has gone through the roof that you got in the mail, or some, something that really gives you an almost knockout blow. Then you say, oh, I'm going to vote for the other guy. But so in the case of Brian Kemp, he really hadn't upset people to the fact, uh, to the point that they felt they wanted to make a change in the governor's office. By and large, they thought he was competent and he was doing a good job and life for them in Georgia had gotten better during the four years he was up there. So why make the change? Uh, I, and I, I found that from my own experience in politics. You can't go into a campaign just being upset about everything. Uh, you have to be someone who's got a more positive message and someone who brings solutions to bear. And if you're running against somebody who hasn't done anything to offend the voters, it's even though you've got some good ideas and good plans and good talking points, uh, you're going to come in second. Yeah, I think the the latter is what I um, got gleaned from it. Um, mm -hmm. Last week's episode, I did my post-election analysis yeah. and I reflected on a conversation that I had with somebody who's been a lifelong Democrat. And he said, you know, Clint Kemp really hadn't done a bad job. So I just don't see that folks are going to turn out in large numbers to kick him out of office. And I, I really think that, that that's what happened here. Um, hopefully, uh, Georgia will be better for it. To your point about purple versus red versus blue, mm -hmm. um, what happened with the other Democrats who are running for those statewide constitutional officers I was only a little bit surprised. I thought that William Bodie had a better chance as um, labor commissioner. Mm -hmm. I thought he had a chance mm -hmm. of being able to get that because he was not running against an incumbent. Right. Mm -hmm. And also because he articulated a really good message. Um, I was surprised. It appeared to me that no matter how good the message was, people were just going to vote down the ticket. I mean, I think every Democratic candidate got between 41 and 45 percent of the vote. Mm -hmm. Maybe Charlie Bailey and, and Jen Jordan got a little bit more than that, but it wasn't much more. Uh, so it just seems like people had come into the polls with their minds made up and they were going to vote along those party lines. 
Well, those other statewide races are, are generally pretty obscure offices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you haven't seen a lot of TV commercials for those folks or radio commercials. You haven't gotten stuff in the mail uh, from people running for those offices. And so it's easy. Well, if I'm going to vote Republican for governor, I'll just check Republican on down the list or I'll just skip it. I won't vote vote in the race at all if I don't know either one of them and and, and have no, no feelings uh, either way. Uh, but but what what I found fascinating was that um, uh, all of them got more votes than Stacy did. Yeah. And, I'm not uh, sure it was all, but I know Jordan and and yeah. and, and Bailey did for sure, mm-hmm. and Warnock yeah. obviously did. Yeah, oh, of course, yes. I, I, you know, if there was somebody leading your ticket coming out of election day. It had to be Warnock, he, even mm-hmm. though he's got into a runoff. I think he's probably the best known and was best funded, of course, and uh, and, and really led the Democratic ticket. Uh, on November 8th. That would would be my estimation of that. And as we talk about red state, blue state, purple state, um, Mm -hmm. I was also interested in the fact that the Democratic Party had put forth such a diverse slate of candidates. Mm -hmm. Um, You had African-American women for, I think, four of the offices, state school superintendent, insurance Mm -hmm. commissioner, agriculture commissioner, as well as governor. You had, uh, I guess, one white male, Charlie Bailey, one Uh white female, uh, Jen Jordan for attorney general, one Asian woman for secretary of state. So you had this extraordinarily diverse slate of candidates. Don't know if I can prove if that's ever happened in any other state before, but Georgia Uh certainly put it forth this time around and they couldn't win. So I think that means that everybody who did win as a white male, which means yeah, probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which means that the upper rungs of Georgia government look just like they did in the 60s. Will that dynamic ever change for us? Oh, it's gonna change. It, it there's no there's no question. I, I, I uh yeah, you look at it and say, well, here's a bunch of old white men, in some cases, young white men who are running mm-hmm. state government, running these offices. But uh, the voters, you know, made those decisions uh, there. Those decisions are initiated uh, through the primary system. And so it's important that if you want to have diversity on the ballot in the general election, that you get diversity in your primaries. And that's where you really focus, focus uh, on that. And course the democrats had a much more diverse group coming out of their primary and the republicans now is is that because um there were no choices for the republicans in the primaries it's not something i kept up with uh, with any measure but uh apparently whatever they did in the primary worked because they all got elected yeah there were some choices but they were all even further right than the ones who won. Like for instance, uh, Heist running against Raffensperger for Secretary of State. Right, well, he was a white man. Yeah, but- the, right. and, you, yeah. You're getting diversity. And you're that's getting, what he was even further right. In yeah, terms well, you of, get- you know, you, even more you conservative. <laughs> well, you could get, you know, I, I think uh, there's a lot to be said for diversity of political views and that's that's good. You want that on the spectrum. But I think you want those political views coming from a, a multitude of different voices. And I think that's the point you're trying to make is you've got the same voice out there, but the message is different depending on the source of that voice. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's just it's just something for us to grapple with, particularly I'm sure Stacy and uh, those who have worked with her to uh, get more folks registered to vote, get younger people in the process. It seems like there just wasn't much of a result for all of, of those efforts, given um, the way we look. And I just, um, yeah. this, this I was looking at the coverage of Maryland. They've elected an African-American governor mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. first time, mm-hmm. just the third uh, African-American elected governor in the history of our country. Um, it just, it is very, very tough to achieve that degree of diversity um, running the statewide office because you got to look at funding. Uh, and as you said, you know, at the top of the ticket, I vote for governor. So I'll just stay with the party. So I just just wonder if we ever get to the point where our overall statewide leadership looks more diverse. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it will. I, I'll bet if you go through the administrative side of state government, it looks a lot more diverse now than it did 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It just, uh, it's, this is, it's, a, it's a natural evolution that will come in its own time. And uh, with elected office, it's the voters that make those decisions. Um, and you've got to give them the choices. If, if you want something different, then instead of focusing 100% of your effort on registering people to vote and getting people to turn out, Maybe you ought to take about 50% of that effort and and aim it toward recruiting candidates to run. Give these voters some people to run for. Um, I I think that's that's one of the the sad things about our political system is that we kind of have a hierarchy in it and we really don't have a good farm system to encourage people to get in at the local and and regional level and to move up within, uh, within the political system. We kind of pick and choose and grab people. I mean, right. I'm not trying to sit here and be critical of Herschel Walker, but here's a businessman who lived in Texas. And here he is today running for the United States Senate in Georgia, where he played football, I don't know, what, 40 years ago, 50 years ago? Yeah, 40 years ago. And then, you know, and then you have to look at it this way, too. Not everybody in Georgia went to Georgia. There are a lot of people here went to Georgia Tech. There are a lot of people who went to Tennessee, to Florida, Alabama, and they're, you know, they don't like their teams being beaten by Herschel Walker. So <laughs> just to say you're a popular football star, you know, that's that's not a hundred percent marker right there. But uh, but but here it is, you know, it's a case of we just pulled somebody out of thin air when we ought to be raising people and, and pushing them up, elevating them up through the system. Uh, not picking and choosing our candidates but in a sense, engaging people to get involved in the system and let them make their decisions whether they want to be a candidate and, and be involved. Open that, uh, put that extended hand out there, give them an invitation to the system. This is not a closed club or anything like that. This thing is wide open, it's democracy. Anybody can get elected, I, I'm evidence of that. So. <laughs> uh, so with that being said, you gonna tell us who you voted for in the Senate race? Yeah, I don't mind telling you. Uh, I think everybody knows I'm I'm a Republican, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I voted I voted for Herschel Walker. And I, you know, I'm I'm not sitting here defending uh, Herschel's personal or or, or uh, record. Um, everybody has to make their own judgments about mm-hmm. that. But I I see him as a team player, uh, and we needed him on our team in Washington, and so that's why I voted for Herschel Walker just as I'm sure a lot of people voted for Warnock because he's a team player and Democrats want him on their team in Washington. That's 
It's the great thing about this sport. Uh, serious question. And I don't get too deep on my show. I don't get too deep into the personal characteristics of folks that run for office. But yeah, as yeah. you say this, I think there are a lot of people in Georgia. I know there are a lot of people in Georgia mm -hmm. who are wondering how, you know, a couple million people, I guess it was, things, yeah, 1.9 million or so, I think that, mm -hmm. that uh, for each one of those candidates, wondering how it is that 1.9 people can think that Herschel Walker could actually represent them well in the Senate given that sometimes in his public statements, he appears as if he could be less than coherent. Was that a concern that you factored in when you made a decision? <laughs> I think, well, you talk about people being coherent. Have you listened to John Fetterman try to speak? You know, it's, it, it's, I think this started, it may not have started then, but I think it really got, uh, the effort got a boost when Trump ran, mm -hmm. because all the rules went out the window. Um, and, uh, and he showed us that you don't have to be an, an intellect. You don't have to be someone who is kind and merciful to, to other people in your, in your conversation, that you don't have to be a, a person of, uh, of unquestionable character. And, and, and you go right down the list. And so all, the rule book's gone. And so our system is wide open now, and we are accepting things, whether we want to or not, we're accepting things that would have been totally unacceptable 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this, the, this election stuff is serious business. Uh, it's a game, but at the end of the day, it's serious business. And we ought to be focusing on people uh, running for office who are competent, number one, uh, and number two, who are articulate so we can understand what the hell they're talking about. And then number three, who are responsive to us, the voters. And, you know, they say the great thing about this system, Janice, is that, uh, you know, in a democracy, everybody gets representation. And so that means even people who are not silk stocking bankers uh, and the country club elite can have representation in the Senate with uh, people who we saw running in this last cycle. So everybody gets rep represented. Every voice is heard, whether you agree with it or not, whether, uh, whether it looks professional, it's a professional presentation or not. So I don't, I, I don't, you know, I don't think I, I fault Herschel so much that he can't put a sentence together. Um, I, I think I know from what I've heard today where his heart is, and, and to me, that's as important as many other other things. So but um, but I, I, I don't know Ralph Warnock. I know his staff because we've been working very closely with them on getting the state veterans cemetery in Augusta, getting VA funding uh, to do that. And, and he's been very responsive. And uh, I, I can't say anything bad about Senator Warnock. I, I, I really can't. But uh, from my personal political perspective, I think a Republican majority in the Senate would have served us better. So there was a, a check on the Democratic president and perhaps even the Democratic House, not knowing how that was going to come out. That's, uh, you know, I, I don't like one-sided government, whether it's one-sided Republican or one-sided Democrat. I think a divided government leads us to consensus uh, and team building in, in approaching issues.
And it should, and it should. And as we think about team building and how the game has changed, I want to point out another factor here with the Senate race. Um, somebody, a friend of mine that I talk politics with all the time had told me, you know, some of these races are coming down to a runoff. And I was like, really? A runoff? I mean, how many votes are these libertarians going to get? Yeah. And it turned out that they got about 2% in every race. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the races, I think, got even you know, closer to 3%. So um, why do folks vote for libertarians? I mean, you know, you don't have a chance to, they don't have a chance to win. It's like they're playing the role of spoiler. And I don't know if that is purposeful, if people are just saying, I'm not really happy with either one of them. So let me vote for the third person on the ballot. Or if people are saying um, they really believe in the libertarian ideology. I mean, what? What's driving this, in your opinion? Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. I because if you look at a libertarian as a conservative, you might say, "Wow, that's my song they're singing." Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you're progressive and you look at a libertarian, you might say, "Well, that's my song they're singing on certain issues." So, uh, I, you know, maybe it's just a safe harbor for people. They they, they don't feel comfortable with the Republicans. They don't feel comfortable with the Democrats. So here's an alternative that uh, speaks to some of the things that I believe in. And, and so I go with the libertarian. Um, I, I, but they, they've always been there. I can remember we've had runoffs before because of a libertarian. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion with former Mayor Bob Young. If you would like to hear the rest of that discussion, it is available on our YouTube channel. That is the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia. Please join us next week when we will continue our discussion of the midterm elections with former Richmond County Commissioner Bill Fenoy. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.